hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello, and welcome to episode 356. Of the Stupid Cancer Show, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor broadcasting right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity supporting young adults affected by cancer worldwide online at stupidcancer.org. My lovely and talented co-founder, Kenny Kane, could not be with us tonight. He is warp touring himself all around the country representing stupid cancer but if he were here he would tell you that we are welcoming all of our first time returning listeners and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on soundcloud itunes iHeartRadio, and blog talk radio it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year so got cancer under 40 Sucks, huh? Well, folks, it's time to get busy living because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. With special thanks to our partner Aflac, this broadcast, sponsored by Aflac, is going to be all about supplemental insurance, what that means for young adults with cancer. And the amazing social footprint that this company has in young adult cancer that you may not be aware of. Join us tonight as we're going to be speaking with Matthew Owenby, their senior VP of Human Resources, and a survivor spotlight on one of their own Athlox Sales Associates who is a young adult liver cancer teen survivor, Carson Hand. It's going to be a great show. And with that, a big applause for me. No, not for me. For my team. Hello, team. Hello. How are we? Hello. Mallory and Noel. Uh, on the mic, John. Hello. How you doing? Swell. We'll do you first because the mic is broken. Yeah. How you doing? We'll, we'll uh, talk while it's hot. Yes, go for it. Uh, what's new? How you doing? I'm good. What's what's going on in the world of fundraising? Uh, we, you are in charge of it. I am in charge of it. It yeah. is my responsibility. Uh, we have a uh, really exciting announcement. We have our cocktail party uh, here in New York City uh, Wednesday, October 7th. We officially breaking that news right now. Let's do it. All right, it's going to be a fun cocktail party. What's it called? Uh, it's tentatively titled the Stupid Cancer Cocktail Party. Oh, phenomenal! Okay. It's very creative. Wonderful. But uh, it'll be here in New York City. I- I'm going to request a change. 
of that name. <laughs> I said tentatively. Okay, good. Um, but I like yeah, that. It'll be a fun party uh, here in New York City in Meatpacking District, part of the Gansevoort Hotel Okay, at the Chester. So well, we're well, really excited. So check social uh, for that announcement. Anyone in the New York City metro area wishes to come out to Warfare. This is kind of like sort of our inaugural thing of this kind, right? Yeah, it's an evolution of something we've had previously, but this is really the first of its kind. Got it. Very nice. Yeah. Anything else? That's about it. Uh, you're worthless. All right, Mallory. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> Working your butt off here on the show here. Tonight's uh, special episode sponsored by our friends at Affleck. And I do mean our friends at Affleck. Yes, they are very friendly. Yes. They're quite fun to work well, with. Well, they're from Georgia. Yes. They're the big smiles. Lots of Southern charm and hospitality. Yes. What are you, what, what's going on with you? How was your weekend? Uh, it was pretty dandy. It was a uh, movie packed and beach packed. Lot, almost, you know, some heat stroke. All that fun stuff. Well, it's like 140 degrees outside with a thousand percent humidity. It's rather warm. Lots yeah. of sunscreen was used. Mm-hmm. It was good times. That's the way. Yeah, lots of sunscreen. Yes. On message. Lots and <laughs> lots of sunscreen. No, you're pale, right? Am I? <laughs> wow, thank, thank you. Thank you for the This is news to you. <laughs> I spent a lot of time outside this weekend, too. Yeah, good. I just, I don't know. No, I was, um, went to the... Uh, American Museum of Natural History. I always forget the American part. It's like, oh, the museum, it's the American Museum of Natural History. Yes, there's a, there's a distinction. So my children got to see their first actual dinosaur bones in the flesh, without the flesh. <laughs> and uh, they, they mistook elephants for dinosaurs. I had to explain to them that elephants were not dinosaurs. Um, but they're learning. It was exciting. Anyway, we have a wonderful special drop-in studio guest just on this show right now. The lovely and talented Adrian Hazlitt Davis is here with us. Hello. 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 Uh, you may know her. I, I hate to like you're known by this, but like what? <laughs> what is the most diplomatic way to explain what you're known by? Uh, I uh, had my leg blown off by a terrorist. A lot of people know me by that. The Boston bombing the Boston victim Marathon. or something? Yeah, the Boston Marathon um, ballroom dancer that uh, uh, had uh, my leg amputated. That that day which otherwise might still be tragic if not for which you were a dancer yes this is true <laughs> yes. this is very true yeah so i uh i was uh, a professional ballroom dancer and still continue to be a professional ballroom dancer no it's amazing and uh you know adrian has become a friend of stupid cancer through some programming we've done together yes which is wonderful and exciting but what i find most intriguing is the parallels yes yeah. it's not cancer but we try to level the playing field when a young adult goes through something traumatic when it's hard enough to be a young adult and we did a show a couple of years ago called all young adult diseases suck so whether mm-hmm. it's an accident or, or you know like whether it's you know diabetes or scleroderma or post-traumatic stress whatever it is it all sucks because it disrupts your life yes and so you were working you had a job you were married and all this and you're dancing and yeah. boom literally boom. literally boom <laughs> literally boom yeah <laughs> yeah and and the whole world uh, changed, but you're right there. As as you and I have uh, gotten to know each other, and we find so many parallels in that that you you have this sudden, completely life altering moment, and you're you're left with the you know PTS and and all of these things that still linger from it. Right. Even years later. Yes. Yes. So and we we talk about the in in the cancer world, we talk about the oh oh uh, oh crap window. Yes. Which is like that period of time between like when you're first diagnosed. And when your treatment actually starts and everything in that window was Charlie Brown teacher. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone's going, wah, 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 wah. You don't know what's happening. You don't really have a navigator. You're, if you have a caregiver, maybe they're the ones listening or trying to figure out. And Dr. Google tries to do things for you. And yeah, again, we're not trying to compare apples to apples with cancer, but you went through that Charlie Brown teacher moment. You just woke up one day, the next day with with a, a, a stub. What's what's yeah. the, is there a politically correct term for stub? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to find out what that word is, so I, I'm gonna get back to you on that. <laughs> I, I call it I call it a stump. I call it my leg, and then I also call it. Uh, the end of my leg, so right. I, it depends on the minute of, of, okay. of what I call it. So, so no, there's stub, no PC. stump, lump, and uh, yeah, okay. yeah the, the end of uh, the end leg, of my leg. My leg just my ends. Leg. It yeah. just ends somewhere else. So th- yes, you wake up one one day and uh, you look at the sheets in the bed, and instead of uh, having two um, bumps at the end of the bed, you only have one. The one parallel that I also know matters a lot. We have a lot of young adults who've had amputations because of cancer. And the calamitous nature of insurance when it comes to prosthetics. Can you talk about that? Yes, yes, it is. It is. Uh, the numbers are are astounding. But uh, you know, a lot of uh, what what I do and what I'm continuing to do is is really educating myself uh, to help others and what is covered in insurance and what isn't. It's it's really um, incredible. In fact, just uh, recently, I went uh, to Congress in um, D.C. partnered with American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association and Mobility Saves to overrun and overturn the one leg a lifetime law in New York City. Uh, and That's a big deal. It's it's a big deal and it's a law. I mean, there shouldn't be a law. There's one thing to have insurance be difficult, which is, you know, certainly a, a hurdle. Um, but to have like a mountain like Everest, like a, a law preventing you from getting a prosthetic limb is is unheard of right and that applies to cancer yes every absolutely. disease for that matter yes we had a, um, a friend of the show who got uh, osteosarcoma at like nine mm. went on a prosthetic before she even started puberty and had to get a new one like every few months and they, just, they fought for 20 years you know and even still as an adult you change too yes absolutely you change often as an adult you know i'm a bit of an exception because i'm a dancer i i am harder on my leg than i uh than another amputee might be uh but yes you know many children in fact in even in our survivor community we have children who uh have had amputations because of the um you know our what we call our boylston street family and you do you as a child you keep growing and therefore you need to keep trimming that bone right and then go through recovery and sit in a wheelchair and then get another limb and then you grow i mean you think of how quickly your children go through socks yes think of you yeah. know, it's it's really not that much different. Right. I mean, but the insurance is a lot more than a pair of socks. So that's a really big victory getting the law overturned. Yeah. So what it, is the law now? The law now uh, is unlimited legs, uh, just dependent on insurance. And are are these legs now have we evolved to the point where they're like three D printed and customized, or do you have to like go off the shelf and they they build them for you or something? So you go to your prosthetist, which is a very fancy name for someone who designs legs <laughs> uh, for those unfamiliar with the term. And what you do is uh, they cast you similar to if you were to break your arm or break your leg and they cast you. And because every limb is different, right. every size is different, everybody's different and they cast you and then turn it into carbon fiber. Uh, 3d printing would certainly cut down on that right. uh, time frame and the cost because of the man hours and such that are involved with that. So I would love to see that become a regular thing, but it is not a, a common practice right now. Right. I, again, one of the bigger themes in, in your story is that you, you were, uh, 
an artist mm-hmm. whose career could have been completely eradicated or let alone just cut short and you did not let that get in your way i did not no. and that's incredible well thank you and some call, some call it stubborn <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i just go back to my own story and I, I try not to make the show about me too much, well we, but, we, but, we related know, a yeah, lot but was, and, when and i met you it was like that's the story I, yeah i was a pianist for a decade and i lost the ability to play from mm-hmm. the brain tumor and even though they took it out of my head and i could feel my hand again i couldn't play and it took me five years to rehabilitate myself by myself with no help from anybody. So, and I've met so many musicians and other dancers and artists who, whose careers were completely sh- cut short, mm-hmm. um, but they struggled to rehabilitate and retrain themselves and play music again and sculpt again and paint again. And it's, it's, it's amazing what we can accomplish. It really is amazing what we can accomplish. And, you know, for me, it was people asked, you know, what, what kept you... And maybe this is you would have a similar answer. I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth. But for me, the idea of when people ask me, are you going to dance again, even just days later uh, after the, the marathon? It's like a really weird question to ask you right yeah, after the marathon. It was, it, it was. I was like, are you going to dance again? And I'm thinking, I, I'm missing my limb. I'm missing my <laughs> limb. I'm missing just on, on constant repeat in my yeah. brain. Um, but the thought of not dancing again was harder than right. the idea of how on earth am I going to be able to make this right, happen? Exactly. I would rather take the hurdle of, of, of making it happen than the acceptance Just, yeah, of giving up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you dropped by. We do want to do a show, Thanks like a full show me. with you. Would, but again, the, the irony is like this show is about insurance and uh, assurance, which is another discussion that I, I find is confusing to the average American. Like what is assurance on top of insurance? But you know, just your story itself has a very interesting point in that narrative because Affleck, covers everybody and lots of different conditions so you'll stick around we'll get you uh to chime in when we do the interview but uh let's start the show in our survivor spotlight tonight carson hand diagnosed with liver cancer at the age of 16 been cancer free for 10 years happy birthday 26 years old he has been getting busy living through music working out and he is a sales associate with aflac so we are going to learn more about what that has meant for him so please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Carson Hand. Carson. Hello, sir. Matt, how you doing? I'm, I'm Mike. We've had a lot of incredible stories on this show, but 16 with liver cancer. I have to say, in in eight years and 356 shows, that's a first. Oh, all right. All right. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I you, appreciate that. You did something right. No, you didn't do anything right. How do you get liver cancer at 16? That's incredible. So I'm still asking that question. I know. It, that, that is the question. I mean, there's, you know, you, you could, one can stir controversy by saying, well, old people get cancer because they're older, they smoke. That's not really true anymore. But why does a 16-year-old right. get cancer? What could have possibly happened to you at 16 to get liver cancer? And you're right. It's going to be the Scooby-Doo mystery of our time. But that's right. I'm thrilled you're here. Ten years—that's that's a nice—that's uh, a nice anniversary there. Absolutely. So, 16, you were in high school, I would imagine, and everything just went completely out the window. That's right. Um, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and I was—I was very active. I was playing on the golf team at the time, and um, you know, in March of that year, we were right in the middle of golf season. And I kind of just started having a pain in my side one day. 
And I, I didn't really think anything of it because I was active. I was playing golf every day, you know, walking with a bag on my back. And I mean, it's just like with any athletics. I mean, things, things happen. You get little injuries here and there all along the way. So I didn't really think anything of it. But uh, my mom, being the very cautious mother that she was, got me to go to the doctor. And they pretty much diagnosed it with pneumonia. I got an antibiotic, took it, got better, and I was fine. Uh, over the next couple of months, I was pretty normal. I, I experienced just kind of some random pains here and there. Maybe my back would hurt one day for a couple of hours. I'd be really tired one day or my shoulder would hurt. And again, I just sort of attributed it to the fact that I was, you know, out there every day in the heat playing golf. And um, in May of that year, this was 2005, I was water skiing at the river, which is something that I love to do. And when I got finished, I swam over to the dock and pulled myself out. And when I pulled myself out, I felt that same pain that I had felt, you know, two or three months before that. Um, within a few hours, it was just excruciating pain. Went to the doctor. Um, they didn't really know what it was. Um, so the, the following week, went and had some tests done, had some x-rays done. And they, I had a CAT scan done, and that's when they found that there was a tumor on my liver. Um, you know, as soon as they figured that out, I was in Columbus, Georgia at the time, uh, as well as was living and they sent me straight to Atlanta, um, to Eggleston Children's Hospital, had some tests done, had a biopsy done. And, and they actually thought that it was a benign tumor on my liver. Um, so they scheduled the surgery. We went through the surgery. Uh, it was supposed to be a, like a four hour surgery. I think it was. And 10 hours later, I, I came out of surgery um, on the morning of May 20th on, uh, in 2005, which was my dad's birthday. I'll, I'll always remember it for that. And the reason that surgery took so long is because, first of all, when they got in, it was much bigger than they originally thought. It, it ended up being nine and, a little over nine and a half pounds uh, that they had to remove out of my liver. Wow. They actually removed, they removed about two thirds of my liver, um, during the surgery as a part of that. And the other reason that took so long is because it was malignant. Um, and like I said, that's something that they didn't know going into it. Um, but because, you know, they, they discovered that it did have cancer in it, they had to take a lot of extra precautions, you know, at the end of the surgery. Um, so I was actually, you know, at that time I was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. It was an undifferentiated sarcoma of the liver, which is a pretty rare form of cancer in that part of the body. Um, Let alone in someone so that was 15 or 16 years old. That's right. That's right. So, and so I, you know, I mean, obviously our, our world kind of imploded, right. You know, very quickly there. Um, and they, they basically said, look, we, we think we got, pretty much all of the cancer that we can see, but we still want to put you through some chemotherapy treatment. So I went through about six months of, of chemotherapy treatment at the Athletic Cancer uh, Cancer Center there in Atlanta at Eggleston Children's Hospital. Um, and that was, yeah, it was about 10 years ago. You know, I was, about 10 years ago, really right now, uh, was when I was kind of getting into the heat of the treatment. Um, I was finished with, with chemotherapy treatments in December of 2005 been cancer-free ever since and uh, you know so this has kind of been a big year for for me in a way because it's sort of a, a decade that's gone by since since I've uh, been through all that you know there's been a lot of victories a lot of uh, a lot of trying times a lot of lessons learned 
and ups and downs along the way. So no, I, I hear you. I mean, stupid cancer, like probably close to twenty five percent of our community, maybe thirty percent of our community, had cancer as children. I mean, even like under eighteen or so, um, and are now not children. And what right. what does that journey really look like when you transition out of pediatrics into like regular primary care and regular doctors? And I, I guess the other question I wanted to ask you, among many others, I suppose, is, you know, a lot of people write blogs and columns about young adult cancer. And the word that they use often is interrupted. So it sounds like, you know, you were uh, this was just kind of a speed bump, thankfully for you. But what was it really like? being in high school and we look back at how I mean I was diagnosed in the 90s when things like the internet didn't exist and bullying was more like they just punched you in the playground kind of stuff so <laughs> old school bullying when they just beat you beat the socks off you so right. what, what was it like for you going through high school with this did you have were you bullied or shamed were there um, friends that like didn't understand did you have to skip school well my experience was was just nothing short of amazing. Um, I was, I went to a relatively large high school, um, but you know, I was fairly active in the community and my church and in a lot of things in, in the Columbus area. And really when all this took place, I mean, it was obviously shocking to, to so many people, but, um, it was so special how my school, my classmates, my community, all just, literally engulfed my family with with their love and support and really rallied around the whole situation i mean you know it, it was anything from people making t-shirts and just you know everyone buying them to you know these little you know they used to have these lift strong wristbands and they made right. one for me that was that had a bible verse on it and and my name on it and, you know everyone had one and um you know, there were people that shaved their heads because I was bald too, you know, and, um, it was just, it was amazing to see the support, uh, that, that was there for me. I mean, I, you know, going into this, I mean, I knew I had a lot of support from people, um, you know, family, friends, teachers, you know, all that kind of, uh, those kind of folks, um, uh, God, you know, blessed me incredibly with, with parents that literally put everything aside when all this, when all this happened, they put it all aside and just to care for me, um, you know, friends and family who were there the whole time providing support, doing things that we needed as a family or just, or just being there. I mean, being there and talking with us, um, you know, but it was a, a, an amazing feeling to, to feel that support. And I think it's something that you can't really feel um, unless you go through something like this. You know, you, and again, you're, you're a native of, of Georgia there, and you were fortunate enough to live near an NCI Comprehensive Cancer Center, the Aflac uh, Center for Blood Disorders, at uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. That, that is one of the most reputable clinics in the country, and they have one of the most, uh, uh, you know, stellar pediatric cancer programs there. Did you feel at all awkward as a teen in a pediatric center? And I ask that specifically because we dealing we're, we are dealing a lot with teens now that are actually still teens with cancer, and what they're talking about is is again it may be a decade later in tech, but um, what was your experience like? Uh, were there other teens there with you? Well, you know, in a way, in some ways, I was a little bit out of place. I was kind of right there on that 
on that verge of of going the adult route with with everything um, because I was 16, and you know a lot of the a lot of the children that were in uh, the same you know in the athletic cancer center being treated with me were a lot younger than I was, um, but there were also a few, and and I'm I feel like there are more and more you know today than even there were back then, but there were more teens. Um, there were a few that, that I got to interact with. Um, but looking back on it, I'm so thankful that I did go the pediatric route. Um, being in a pediatric hospital is, uh, is pretty luxurious if, um, if I can say that. Yeah. And they just went so, I mean, everyone went so out of the way to just do anything possible to, to make things as easy as they could be, um, given the situation at hand. Uh, I mean, the Athletic Cancer Center is is so lucky and, and fortunate to have the support um, of Athletic, and and I, I I wouldn't do this justice if I didn't just mention Dan and Kathleen Amos um, that have poured their heart and souls into the Athletic Cancer Center. Um, and they've really been there throughout the whole process to really see this through, um, to, to, to make it become one of the top centers in the country for children to go. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, I was treated at the Athletic Cancer Center. I was actually also an Athletic Cancer Policy holder, um, which, which was a huge, uh, huge advantage for us as well. But, you know, just my whole experience at the Athletic Cancer Center, um, was a special thing, um. You know, my oncologist at the Athletic Cancer Center just just so happened to be the head of a of a nationwide childhood liver cancer board. Um, and with my cancer, it was a very rare form, so there wasn't necessarily really a, a protocol for treatment for that. And he literally created a custom treatment plan just for me. Um, and, and you know, I think a lot of people that are treated at the, at the Athletic Cancer Center would say the same thing. You know, they're so committed. To, um, to making a brighter future for children and, and young adults that are treated there through, you know, their advanced medical treatment, their, their support services. Um, you know, it's obviously, like I said, it's a child-friendly environment um, that really makes it uh, almost seem like you're not in a hospital. And, and just the innovative treatment and research that they're doing also, I mean, all those things just come together um, and make it, the, the awesome place that it is. Yeah, no one doubts the credibility. Again, it is a designated cancer center, and, and the outcomes that they produce and they record, it, it is staggering how far we've come in 30 years in treating pediatric oh, cancer. Well, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is there's all these new studies that are out now. They're not even studies, like research reports for the last couple of years that, you know, and I was diagnosed in pediatrics too, and I'm, I'm celebrating 20 years this year, so we're, we're, we're hand in That's hand awesome. at this point. So... Um, <clears throat> like it's like the, um, the, you know, it's not over when it's over conversation. Like they've given you the surgery. You, I heard you had chemotherapy, you lost your hair. Um, there's a lot of toxicity going on in your body when you're in, in, uh, in those pubescent years growing up. Uh, were there any conversations as to, you know, side effects and what you can look forward to or what might happen to you long term? And how often do you check these days now, 10 years later? Right. Um, sure. I mean, you know, when, when we started the whole the whole treatment process, we definitely had conversations about um, possible side effects and, and potential uh, side effects that were maybe a little more long term. Um, and that was just 
you know, it just seemed like kind of a normal conversation that we would have to me. Um, you know, as I completed my treatment and especially after I hit my, like my five year cancer free mark where they kind of, for my cancer was kind of the, uh, you're cured. Right. Uh, the big deal or whatever. I kind of, I transitioned a little bit to a survivor clinic type thing. Um, and that was a that was really good because that was a chance for me to talk with someone about you know looking from then onward to to later in life you know what what things are I, am I at risk for or what things am I maybe a little more at risk for than the average person um, you know we talked we discussed things that I need to keep a check on you know each year and. Um, it, they really encouraged me to get my primary care physician on board and, and he has come on board. So it's, it's really been good because he kind of knows what to look for. I know what to make sure he looks for. And, and that's really important because, you know, there are things that depending on what your treatment is, I mean, there are things that you have to, you really need to keep the check on uh, regularly. So. No. And then that is, again, it speaks to the progress that's been made in understanding you know, I was treated 20 years ago. I was I was 21, but I was still in pediatrics. And back then, they didn't even know what could possibly happen to you as a result of anything they gave you, unless you had like leukemia. But I had brain cancer. Right. So the fact that you had like the 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 Cadillac of treatment when there is no Cadillac that exists, and the guy invented this study for you, is incredible. I remember the only reason I was able to uh, foster children 20 years later was because. Being treated in peds, they encouraged me to bank my sperm and understood that fertility could be a serious challenge that is very unique to not being four or 80 years old with cancer. Was that a conversation that you had? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I did the same thing you did. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, uh, I I still keep that to this day. And um, you know, to me, it's such a worthwhile investment. And, and, you know, and, and the hopeful thing is I'll never even have to, to go to that. Um, you know, but that was a conversation that, that we had very early in the whole procedure and the whole process. Um, and, and I was completely on board with that because, you know, I knew I wanted to have children later on and, and I knew, and, and it was made very clear to me that, there were necessarily no guarantees about what you know what I would or would not be able to do later on, um, and so that was definitely something that I'm so thankful that someone you know came to me and and brought up that conversation because um, you know that's something that I if I had not had that conversation uh, that would be a huge regret for me. No, clearly. regardless of, of, of you know what happens later on down the road, really. Yeah, and, and it wasn't awkward for me at all having my parents drive me back and forth to the sperm bank. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and see, when when, I, when we did it, I mean, it was even a little a little better for us because, um, you know, I don't know if this was available when you were kind of going through that, but, I mean, ours was like a home. I mean, they literally, like, shipped all the stuff, you know, to my house. Um, and it was all done, you know, there. I didn't have to go anywhere to to do what needed to be done, um, and that was that was great as well. That is definitely an improvement from back when, <laughs> when I went through this in the 90s. <laughs> so good for you, my friend. Good for you. Right. Yes. So I want to take the rest of the interview to talk about the, the incredible irony that you were 
um, y- your father was an Affleck policyholder. Just he happened to be one. This happened to happen. You benefited from being an Affleck policyholder, and now you are a an agent for Affleck. And I, I can't I can't imagine that's not a coincidence. That's right. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, an Affleck agent for about four months now, and it's something that I always thought that I may have an interest in one day for for a lot of reasons. But a huge part of that was because of my uh, my experience with Affleck. And I mean, it's really been a full circle thing for me. I mean, I grew up um, going to church with with Dan and Kathleen Amos. Um, you know, Dan is the CEO of Affleck. So I, I grew up going to church with them. Uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was treated at the Affleck Cancer Center, and that was just, you know, a, another step um, in that circle. My, my parents happened to be Affleck policyholders, and you know, they tell me the story that when they were first given that opportunity, you know, they, they had serious conversations about, you know, do we really need this? Is it is it something that we feel like is, I mean, is going to be a worthwhile investment? And, um, and especially for their, for their children. And I, I was an only child. Um, so they ultimately decided to, to do it for whatever reason. And uh, but of course they they never thought that they certainly hoped they would never have to use it. But if if anything, they didn't think they would have to use it on me. And I and lo right. and behold, I was the first one that that had to use it. Um, so you know it was such a uh, it was such an awesome thing for them because you know they were able to file claims throughout the treatment process, and, and Affleck was paying them cash benefits you know right. for all of this. Um, and it, it just it helps take the burden off of of a family financially it, it sort of acts as a safety net and you know that that cancer and specified disease policy is designed to help cover expenses that aren't covered by your major medical insurance um you know whether it's out-of-pocket medical expenses or out-of-network specialists experimental cancer treatments you know travel and lodging was definitely uh something for us because we were having to travel you know out of town to go to the hospital um, and just other normal living expenses that that you know you may have to forego when you're going through something like this. Um, and you know through that whole process, um, over the years i've I've had opportunities to go speak at Affleck events and um, and be around the, the the company and folks within the company. And you know I've learned so much about Affleck and I've learned that it's a it's a first class organization. Um, they obviously know how to run the business side of things, but ultimately it's just about helping people. And I, and I think that if you ask Dan Amos about it, he would tell you the exact same thing that when we go out and, and sell an athletic policy to someone, you know, it's not just about selling some product to someone, but you know, for me, it's extra special because I'm, I'm not so much selling someone something I'm, I'm more, um, providing them with something that hopefully will help them if they need it somewhere down the road. And for me, you know, I know that it, that it's, that it's a quality product and a good product because I've had personal experience with it. So, yeah, that's what's made it so full circle for me is that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hopefully helping others, um, to, to be able to cope better with their experiences later down, down no, the road. It's, it is a phenomenal story how things come full circle. Um, again, I, I, 
everything that exists in the, in the cancer world, specifically, I mean, we're a young adult show. This is an organization that I, I made for me, but now for you and other people like you is, you know, we're not science, we're not clinical, we're not going to be in charge of treatments, but our job is to make everything suck a little less. And what right. you're describing as far as, you know, the products that Affleck offers, it's the same thing. And we're here to mitigate it being as horrible as it can be. Um, and the way in which that is embodied, and it sounds like you are living this, is, uh, you know, we, we use the phrase, get busy living. And as a, as a musician who recovered his ability to play, um, I, I commend you for anchoring yourself because I read here you are been like a phenomenal music fan, a, a performer in a band for a very long time, and that's been your anchor. Right, right, absolutely. Music has been a, a huge part of my whole experience. Um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I've been a musician really my, my, my whole life, and uh, music was definitely a way that, that I coped with with the situation and with the whole process, whether it was writing songs or, you know, playing in church bands or, um, or performing, you know, on my own, it was definitely a way that helped me. And, and it's something that I continue to do today. And, um, you know, I, I'm a very busy person and I love being busy, um, you know, and, and whether it's, you know, doing my Aflac thing or playing with my band, or I also own a production company, um, back home and, you know, whether it's any of those things, um, you know, I, for me, it's the get busy living quote is something that um, that I really try to do every day because you, you never know when your last chance is going to be to impact someone in a positive way or to really um, to really do something for someone that means a lot. And, you know, I actually wrote a song when I was going through my whole process that, that said, you know, um, you never know when God will take you, and you never know when it when it'll be your last chance to make the best of what you're given, and and live each day like it's your last. And I really um, have tried to to incorporate that into my everyday life. Carson Hand, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. We look forward to having you be participatory in all that is stupid cancer. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, Carson Hand, everybody, thank you so much. Okay, folks, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Again, just visit events.stupidcancer.org and see what's happening in your neck of the woods. And if you would like to host your own meetup, visit stupidcancer.org meetup. Cancer's lonely, and we've got a cure for that. We are talking about Instapeer, our brand new mobile app that brings instant anonymous peer support to anyone affected by cancer on your mobile device. Now available for iOS and Android. Go to instapeer.org or just search Instapeer in your app store. We have launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all of the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. Cancer's expensive. We are proud to announce cancermademebroke.com. That's right, cancermademebroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser you didn't ask to get sick and your community wants to help. 
Again, cancermaybebroke.com. Learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. And finally, it's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and warm or nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from. We've got an awesome skateboard, and don't forget about Flip the Cancer Bird, our latest plushie mascot. That is stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, wear stupid cancer, and that is your Stupid Cancer News. Featured tonight is going to be Matthew Owenby, Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resource Officer at Aflac. Aflac has been, as we mentioned on the show, one of the most incredible supporters of Stupid Cancer. We are so proud of our partnership, and I can't wait to hear more about all they're doing on behalf of Stupid Cancer, Young Adult Cancer, and generally the world of assurance. Please welcome Matthew. Matthew Owenby. Thanks for having me. You know... I typically don't say senior vice president. I always say SVP. What's your preference? Either is fine. SVP is shorter, so I would go shorter. <laughs> SVP, yes. I'm a big fan of like shortening things these days. Exactly. Concise. Yes. Be so, concise. But, but is there I've heard of CMO and CIO. There's no CHR. CHRO, is that a thing? Yeah, that is actually a real thing. Really? Um, it's a, and it's very common nomenclature. Certainly these days in modern corporations, it's a pretty common uh, feature of roles um, like mine uh, across the industry, across really all industries, whether it's healthcare or insurance or financial services or industries, um, it's very common. I mean, it sounds like if you try to pronounce it, it sounds like a disease. Tro. I have Tro. Help me. <laughs> it does have that sort of weird acronymic feature to it. Nice, nice, nice. So, what's your what's your background? How'd you get into this business? Gosh, I'm a second-generation HR guy, I mean, uh, which is probably unusual. My father was in HR for 47 years. Um, you know, my, my background is actually in business administration and corporate finance. Um, I started out and um, worked in a company called General Electric for about uh, eight years and, and did HR-related uh, work there, all sorts of HR-related work, whether it would be on um, in manufacturing plants and in uh, office buildings, et cetera. And then I worked for Bank of America for about uh, eight years. And uh, about three and a half years ago, I moved over to Aflac. And uh, so it's all been in HR. All my career has been in HR. And I, I think it's somewhat unusual to be a second-generation HR person. That's probably fairly unusual. Again, I have to say we've done f- uh, 455 of these shows, and I don't think we've had a second-generation, outed a second-generation HR person on the air. There we go. I may be your first. That's right. Wonderful. No, that's exciting. All right, so let me just ask you where we get to the show then. Uh, what's been the most intriguing and possibly uh, discomforting uh, evolution of HR in the social media age? Just the social media um, itself. Uh, the, the reality of the, the fact that at any one point in time, uh, people can express how they feel about you, whether it's accurate in facts or not. Um, and, you know, fortunately, we, we have a wonderful workforce here that, that generally praises um, the corporation. But, you know, everything is just sort of instant and permanent, right? It's sort of this instant, permanent uh, expression that, that may be just, a, you know, an issue in, in time, but winds up becoming an issue time memorial. Um, and so there's just a lot of, a lot of um, 
uh, negative opportunities as well as positive opportunities. I mean, we, we leverage social media uh, to our advantage as well in, in informing employees, keeping them up to date on what we're doing, uh, keeping them engaged on initiatives that we've got going on. So there's both positives and negatives, but um, you know, just the fact that it is so prevalent and it's how people – uh, fundamentally communicate. I mean, the telephone is it seems to be pretty much dead. Um, right. But uh, social media is the method of of preferred communication, um, really, kind of across the generations now. And I, I I've been I hire I'm a job creator. Yeah, I create jobs at Stupid Cancer. What I find most intriguing, even from five years ago, I would say, and you could probably chime in with this because you have experience being a secondhand, second generation HR person. People are really learning to clean themselves up online. Have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, dramatically, dramatically. I mean, I think that uh, people realize the searchability uh, and the permanence of the information that, that's, you know, profiled online from, you know, the time that they start doing that. In some cases, it's extensive, you know, through high school and college and et cetera. And, you know, that's part of, uh, that's part of general good diligence as you look for uh, candidates out there. Uh, their online presence talks a lot about who they are. Um, and so we do see uh, much more cleaner profiles, right. that's even a way to say it, than you did years ago when it first started coming out. Yeah, and if you want to make a lot of money, go into the professional scrubbing business. Exactly. There's actually services out there, I'm sure you're aware of, yes. that uh, you can pay to to help you clean up your online profile and make you look um, you know, better in whatever way you can. So is that something that plays into the hiring process? I would imagine it does in general. You, you, you look for anything social footprint, you know, shadow that speaks to anything. Yeah, I mean, anything is probably strong. I mean, we, you know, I, I think we do our, our typical due diligence around it. I mean, I, there are probably firms that take it to uh, an extreme or, or, or to an, a place that we, do, we just don't. Um, but the casual search via LinkedIn, uh, et cetera, you know, usually pre- you know, usually presents uh, the profile of the person that we're seeing in, the, in a favorable light, and it helps confirm connections and work histories and things like that. Obviously, we have a formalized background check the process that goes through that right. as well. Um, but you know, I, I think it is one of those things that, that people, young people, um, need to be careful of as they post because this stuff, unfortunately. Uh, it, it has a permanence to it. Yes. Well, actually, and that ties directly into the commonality here of this broadcast is cancer. And I would we have we've done a lot of workshops, a lot of shows. It's really hard to scrub cancer from your job history if you have a sure. scathing gap in it, or how to speak to an HR person about it. Or one of the things, and this is a very 2015 problem to have. Your friends will go start a, a like a GoFundMe for you. Yeah. And then you didn't ask for that. And then, boom, you're searchable on the web as the person with cancer who's getting fundraising. And then that just leaches out into everything else. And, you know, this is the modern age. It is right. And, um, you know, for, for us at Aflac, we, we, you know, obviously don't use any of that information from a hiring decision perspective. Of course, of course. And, you know, I, I think with, with, with people that have, you know, I've actually I've experienced this somewhat, not to, a, not to a many month degree, but I actually had to take time off to help my father's, di- you know, ultimate diagnosis and, and, and cancer and remission story that I could share with you, where I had to take um, many, many, many weeks off uh, from work to help him do that. 
but, you know, I think most employers, if, if they see a gap for whatever reason and they understand the story behind it, that it wasn't just me hanging out in Hawaii uh, going to California, it was to care for right. a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that generally goes a, a long, long way um, in satisfying uh, the gap in time. But I, I had a gap in time, too, where I just, you know, I, my father was diagnosed. Um, it was sort of a long time coming. He, he It's sort of the classic case, Matthew, of, of, you know, there were symptoms for literally years, um, didn't want to believe that it was him, you know, never really told us about it. And then it basically limited his options to really two things, which was a year and a half of chemo and then an aggressive uh, eight-and-a-half-hour surgery at the end of the chemo, which ultimately cured him of the cancer. But nobody nobody talks to you about the fact that, okay, your mom has gone through 15, 18 months of chemo. She's spun, you know, exhausted from it. Older brother's in another country, literally. Somebody's got to go down there and, and help him through the recovery phase of a very long surgery, which was ended up being six months. Right. And, um, you know, you, you just don't, you know, as you're, you know, for me, you know, my parents have sort of seemed invincible to me. You know? Right, you, yes. You can't imagine them being sick, right, because they're the, all, they're the ones that take care of you. Um, and so when it happens to you, it really changes how you think about these things pretty dramatically. And I just told my employer at the time, which was very compassionate, I said, look, I'm, I'm going to go take care of him. Y'all do what y'all have to do about it. Right. Uh, I'm going to go help him. So you've been on both sides of this. I have. Yeah, I have. And, I, you know, the, the thing that, you know, that, that sort of shocked me a little bit uh, was, you know, my father was very well insured. He was with a, a, a fairly large corporation and had uh, the normal coverages. But it cost him a lot of money out of pocket. I mean, mm-hmm. He didn't have any supplemental insurance, cancer policies, things like that. Uh, and it was, on average, six to $8,000 a year out of pocket. Now, for him, he had planned for uh, health care issues in the future, right? He, he didn't believe he was always going to be healthy, but he, I think, is unusual. Most people um, you know, don't understand the, the, the future uh, costs of what an illness could be. Um, they just don't understand that. And so the, the, the positive out of the experience I have with my father was that it was, whole, it was all physical and no financial. But for most people, eight to, you know, six to $8,000 out of pocket is a lot of money. Yes, it is. Um, that if you're not prepared for, can lead to some really disastrous uh, financial issues. So that, that opens up a question, and I'm, I'm sort of a victim of this as well. I had no idea. I'm 41. I have two children. I'm the sandwich. Sounds like we're both the sandwich generation with aging parents and children. So yeah. I had no idea that there was something that existed called like like secondary insurance or assurance. I didn't. I I had no idea. And this comes down to everyone knows the commercials. It's a great brand. I come from the agency world. I love brand metrics and brand matrices. And you guys rank consistently high every year. But supplemental insurance, like the stuff that covers the stuff that doesn't cover the stuff. Exactly. I mean, you got to remember that there's some things that major medical insurance was never designed to cover in the first place. And that's really the purpose of supplement insurance and companies like Aflac is that, you know, we offer healthcare related insurance that, that covers those gaps that you, you, you may experience, whether it's a, an accident or a critical illness or a cancer uh, diagnosis. 
that's what supplemental insurance is for. And those are the sort of the hidden costs of health care for people that they don't realize that, you know, I'm going to have to take time off of work. I'm going to have to go to this specialist that may not be covered by my major medical insurance coverage. And so uh, the, the, the benefit and the value of supplemental insurance in these cases um, is pretty substantial. I mean, we, we know from uh, from certain online agencies like foxbusiness.com that about 78% of people who file for bankruptcy have major medical insurance, right? So they, they have the insurance, but they're, they're still not covered when these accidents and illnesses happen. Right. Now, we do, we do lots of, um, as you can imagine, in, in the cancer world, you know, the cost of care and access to care are two of the hot-button issues in general. But, you know, we focus on the sort of the under-45 crowd, which typically are underinsured because they work for employers that have second-rate or cut-rate insurance programs. And it, you're right, like 65% of young adults are underinsured. And I, yeah. something, I, I'm going to get the, the numbers relatively wrong, but it's, it's something like two-thirds of all bankruptcies are medical, and two-thirds of those medical bankruptcies are young people. Yeah, that, and those numbers don't surprise me. I mean, I, I think that um, you, you can easily go to sort of a, you know, like nerdwallet.com, and it, it claims that unpaid medical bills are the number one cause of personal bankruptcy. I mean, that's the number one cause to people's uh, financial demise is is a medical issue uh, at some time in their history, and um, you know that that's why that's why we believe that the supplemental insurance is so important, particularly when you get uh, a diagnosis of cancer, because you just it's hard for you to to imagine all of the unexpected or sort of the hidden costs. You, you don't know. Uh, what an overnight stay at the hospital is going to be. You don't know uh, what groceries and child care and lodging and parking at a hospital are going to be. Um, so these policies, supplemental insurance, helps you, you know, pays you directly, essentially, so you can, you can handle those financial uh, burdens as they come in. I mean, it's bad enough to be diagnosed with something as bad as cancer. It's a whole other issue if you have to focus your energy and your time away from that diagnosis and that recovery uh, to financial matters. Right. So and so the comeuppance for me really a year ago is when I first met um, uh, one of the agents in your team who explained to me like why sh- that stupid cancer should become a client of Aflac and sort of policy for our employees. And I didn't really know that that's the way it works. The, the company has the policy that the policies it's pre-tax to employees and it makes perfect sense at no cost to the company. Exactly. I, I can't help but think why is that not more publicly well-known? You know, we, um, we, we struggle with the same question. I mean, the reality is it doesn't cost the employer a dime, and we believe that the benefits to the employee, obviously financial, uh, some, some level of additional financial protection, but, but also it has, it has, we believe that the, the supplemental aspect has retentive value to employees, right? We think that uh, employees that have these supplemental policies that are, that are offered by their employers are less likely to leave their employer to go somewhere else because they may not get these benefits. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying, we're doing our best to get the word out there, but you do have to have, uh, you do have to get these policies through uh, an employer. Uh, that's how we actually write the policies out. But, no, and, um, and I am a Kool-Aid drinking CEO, and I really didn't know that this was, like, it's a benefit, first and foremost. It's not that expensive, and all of my employees have it now, which is nice. I, I, what, what happens in the situation where, like, you work for the government or in the military or, like, the, a, a city school system? 
Yeah, well, yeah, actually, many school systems offer AFLAG products, and we, we actually sell uh, you know, group insurance products to those agencies where, where we can, where they're, where they're willing to have us on site. So there, there are actually options out there where we have uh, teachers and, and other uh, types of government employees that, that actually do have AFLAC. It's not every government agency, obviously, and we're trying to expand that coverage, but um, there are options out there for people uh, that we, we actually do cover uh, quite a few governmental employees. So I want to talk about some of the barriers to getting other companies to understand. Like, let's say you have an employee that, you know, like like our, our spotlight, Carson, right? So his father happened to have AFLAC policy when his son was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of born into the Kool-Aid drinking nature of the benefits of this. Mm-hmm. And now he his own company has an AFLAC policy. How do companies, like, let's say there is an employee who came from another company, maybe carry that policy over, but wants to tell their new company you should do this, that doesn't sound like it's very easy. I, I don't think that it's very easy. I think it's one of those things that um, it's sort of a which comes first. You know, if an employee is asking you for it because you don't have it, well, as the employer, why haven't you researched the options of additional insurance benefits that don't cost the company a dime? You know, it's sort of well, which one should have happened first? Well, as an employer, I would argue, well, my job as an HR person with a, with the acronym that I have <laughs> is to find and create the most valuable employment experience that I can relative to the cost basis that the corporation holds me at. Um, and the idea that I could benefit and provide additional coverages to people with no cost to me just seems like a no-brainer to me. It just seems like, well, why wouldn't I do that? And all I need to do to make that happen is call a broker and say, hey, look, I've got this many people I'm trying to insure on these products. I want this product from Aflac. Go out there and get it for me or contact Aflac directly uh, as an employer. I just, there's, it really is not, the barriers actually are not that, that high. Um, I just think that, you know, it just depends on the, the situation of, of the employer. But um, the fact that it doesn't cost them anything should be an incentive to go out and look for, particularly given all of the, the, the press around health care benefits and the cost of health care, um, to provide people with additional options that they choose whether they want to use it or not. Correct. And you're not forcing them to. You're just providing them access to this policy uh, and this type of coverage. No, the reason I brought it up is because I, I'm kind of like scathed from an incident back when I, my very first job in 1997 was the same year that New York City rolled out the MetroCard. And, <laughs> the, but they introduced something called Transit Check, which is like similar. It's a, like it's a pre-tax incentive for employees to get a slightly discounted monthly metro card. And it wasn't, it's not that much of a complicated thing. It's free to the company. It's an employee benefit. And I just, I remember going to the HR person. I was 23 years old. I say, would you guys please do a transit check? And they're like, no, we're not doing transit check. Like, I, oh. just, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done with HR. I just go do my job now. Yeah, I hate that you had that experience. I think a lot of times uh, the the HR organization can be the no factory. Yes, um, because it's just simpler to say no. Unfortunately, um, that that's that that is uh, you know typical. Unfortunately, of the of the industry in some cases, but I think things are changing as well. I mean, you, you we know uh, HR professionals know that. Um, employment is a choice and people choose to be employed by you and they you know more and more as 
the boomers retire and the Xers continue to progress and the Generation Y comes in, they don't have a problem choosing to go someplace else. And they're happy to go out and, and shop. I mean, you talked a little bit about social media in the beginning. Um, you know, the, the, the new job seekers out there, before they even allow themselves to be interviewed, are checking with friends and they're on Facebook talking about, hey, have you been to this company? Hey, have you had an interview? How did it go? How were you treated? All those things. And I, I think the, the companies that have um, the more broad and um, uh, substantial benefits programs are a competitive advantage, I believe. And I, I generally think it's the right thing to do. So let's get into the, the nuts and bolts here. How long has Aflac had a, a cancer policy? Yeah, I mean, Aflac has had cancer policies. We're basically one of the, the companies that were forerunners and, and you know developers of these kind of policies, and we've been in business 60 years. Um, and, you know, we're really – that, that's really kind of where we got our start is, is in cancer, uh, and it's certainly grown from there. I mean, now we have – uh, cancer and cancer-specific disease. We have accident, critical care, dental, uh, juvenile life, life, lump sum cancer policies, short-term disability, vision, things like that. But we really got our start with cancer insurance. So it's got to be a scary prospect when uh, a company, let's say a company, gets AFLAC to their employees and the, the employee has the meeting with the agent to talk about their options. How does that actually happen? If the person has never had cancer, I never known anybody with cancer. How does that go, especially if they're younger? How, 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 how do you sell that, the invincibility factor notwithstanding in young people? Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to tell people that um, the odds are just not in your favor. I mean, the reality is the American Cancer Society uh, says that in 2015, they expect 1.6 million new cancer cases. Right? That's 1.6 million new cancer cases. Um, and they also say, American Cancer Society knows that men have a slightly less than one in two lifetime risk of developing some form of cancer. And for women, the risk is a little more than one in three. And I think you just tell people that the odds are just not in your favor, unfortunately. And um, you're better off being prepared uh, in the event these things happen uh, than not because – you know, regardless of, of the outcome, it's going to be really expensive, and you're going to want to be focused on getting better, not focused on, well, how am I going to pay for this or pay for that? No, because I, I asked that specifically because, you know, we are in young adult cancer. I've do, done a lot of sure. research on millennials and how they behave, and millennials, by the way, hate to be called millennials because it just kind of pigeonholes them into this, like, archetype of human being. But this notion of invincibility is kind of what I went through. And, and I was 21. I just ignored my symptoms for a long time. Let's forget, you know, insurance, which I was under my dad. But I ignored my symptoms. I said, oh, it's nothing. I'll just get on with it. And by the time I realized that there was something wrong with me, it was almost too late. So this, this notion of selling risk to people that are like have no concept of risk is something I'm fascinated by. And, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how we can figure that out together. I think you have to, you know, I think you have to tell stories, quite honestly. People have to, you know, I, can, I relate to the situation that you just described because, you know, I saw my dad just sort of getting worse and worse and worse, and we just didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, by the, it, it's unfortunate because in, you know, from the, the point of where he was diagnosed, of course, the doctor says, well, you know, if three years ago had you come in, 
this would have been a totally different outcome for you. Totally different outcome. He's fine today, um, thank God. But it, it was just it changed my entire view of it, right? Because again, you you know, I had this sort of immortal view of my parents. They're sort of always there. They're always going to be there. And all of a sudden, this guy is sick and materially sick, sick, sick. Not going to get better unless there is massive intervention by medical uh, practitioners. Uh, it just changed how I thought about the the whole environment. So for me, I think that. You know, telling stories like this and your story and this podcast is how you get the awareness out there. Look, I hope I never have cancer, right? I, and I'm fortunate enough to work for a corporation, Aflac, who, who has the coverage. But I have three children, and I have coverage on them uh, because I'm just as worried about these statistics. Would I be as worried if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes? Well, probably not, unfortunately. Right. But but I saw it with my own two eyes, and I experienced the you know, the, the um, and trauma is probably not strong enough, but th- there was certainly a massive disruption in, in the family's life as you just sort of worried sick about, hey, you know, what's going to happen with my dad? Um, and it just changed how I thought about everything. So I think a big part of it is, you know, telling people real life experiences and making it real for them. So before because we get into the nut- it's hard to sell the idea. To no, you're a, right. To a 17, 18 year old, look. Yes. There's a chance you're going to get cancer, and they think, well, I don't smoke, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. Well, yeah, neither did my dad. Well, again, I, I just to tie into that, like Carson was diagnosed at 16, I was diagnosed at 21. They had this fertility conversation with us, and like, I can't even think about being a dad. I'm 16. I'm 21. <laughs> like, it's the last thing on your mind, literally, the last thing on yeah. your mind. Uh, anyway, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of, of how, how the claims work and what the numbers look like, but we have a really special drop-in guest tonight, and her story really aligns with us. I'm not throwing you a curveball. You may know her. She was uh, Her name is Adrienne Hazlitt, uh, and she was the ball, ballroom dancer who lost a limb in the Boston bombing marathon. Yeah, I do know the name. Yeah. So she's a friend of mine. She dropped by the show, but she wanted to chime in and talk about prosthetics in terms of anything, whether uh, a lot of young people lose a limb to cancer, she lost a limb. But uh, do you want to, is your question, Adrian? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Matthew, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for chopping in tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for sharing uh, your story as well. I, it's, it's really, it's really, really touching and really moved me. Um, the, you know, obviously, um, I have uh, a, a real tie-in um, to Matthew, and we can relate in, on many levels, both being uh, artists and, and um and I and dealing with something very traumatic that happens, uh, as you were saying, with insurance, you never it's better to be prepared. You never know what can happen. Um, I couldn't agree with that statement more. I certainly was not expecting to have what happened to me happen to me. Um, and because of that, you know, you you are suddenly thrown into this world of prosthetics and the co- the coverage that comes with that. I'm very fortunate that my husband is in the military. And so we have. Uh, the TRICARE insurance, um, which, um, you know, to have insurance in general when that happens, obviously, is is a great thing. But uh, throughout my experience, I've uh, been able to um, partner with a lot of other amputees and some of which uh, bedside within, you know, a day or two uh, of whatever their trauma was that that caused them to have uh, their amputation, uh, whether it was cancer, like Matthew was saying. Um, but, you know, they also are, are thinking of this, you know, more of the trauma of the what Matthew was saying earlier in the show about the Charlie Brown phase, the uh, teacher phase about, you know, gosh, this happened to me, gosh, this happened to me. But then you're faced with all this financial uh, burden of prosthetics as well. 
um, that have a, a difficult time getting covered. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, and I, I think that is the, the, that's one of the main benefits of, uh, of the supplemental policies that we offer, because if you're, if you have a covered um, situation, the money's paid directly to you. It's not paid to a doctor. You can do whatever you need to do with the money, whether that's uh, pay for groceries, childcare, lodging, you know, prosthetics, whatever. You can do what you need to with that money, which is why I think that's the, to me, that's the biggest benefit of this supplemental insurance is that it's not going to a provider unless that's what you say, right? Unless you say, mm-hmm. hey, I want this to go directly to provider. The money goes to you. You can use it for whatever you want to do with it. So to, so that kind of is the umbrella behind the way that Aflac works. It's right. something really bad happens to you. You have the policy, right? So if something bad happens to you, you file the claim with Aflac. But it's not like filing a claim in the sense where there's like a an auditor and an actuary and a lawyer that's all looking at this through like an electron microscope. It's no, really no. just like this happened to me. Here is a settlement. Here's not a settlement. Here, here is a cash payment to help yeah. offset your burden. So if you needed to go through um, a prosthetist and insurance was fighting with you, you could just get it done while still fighting insurance. There you go. I mean, and you know, a lot of insurance companies talk about how how much money they're going to save you on premiums, and et cetera. But, but our view is people buy insurance because they need to get paid when they file a claim, right? They need that money. Right. We understand that there's a lot of urgency and importance um, to paying people. And incidentally, you probably you may be aware that earlier this year we introduced one day pay, and you know, an, an eligible um, approved claim. Can be, you know, if it's filed online, if we receive it online by three o'clock in the business day, uh, we pay in the same day, uh, and that's really unheard of. And you know, we've gotten some questions. It's interesting. Some of our, some of our, uh, our CEO went out and got some questions from, well, what's the difference between you guys paying in four days versus a day? And he said, well, nothing if you don't need the money. Right. <laughs> but we believe we believe the people need the money. Right, so we want to pay you as fast as we can. So, you know, if you're if you're have an online claim and we get it by 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, they'll pay you in a day. And and we believe that that's super important to people that are already struggling with potential terrible diagnosis. And the last thing you want to worry about is, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if the next 60 90 days they're going to pay me. You don't have to worry about that with Aflac. So, what's the situation where? You really want to have an Aflac policy personally, but your employer doesn't have it, or you're self-employed, or you're just an independent person. Yeah, you've got to ask for it at work. <laughs> right. If you're independent, we'll, uh, we'll we we can send agency to talk to you about that. Uh, but if you have it, if you if you are employed uh, or you're self-employed, that 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 would be an independent agent that would come talk to you. Uh, if you don't have it at work, ask for it at work, and uh, we can help you do that too. No, and I, I got, uh, and I've gotten a lot of interesting uh, feedback ever since our relationship and our partnership was announced last year. And questions are like, "Well, cancer cost me fifty thousand dollars a pill. How's Aflac going to help?" And that's the that I, we just try to mitigate that conversation where this is not a you know win the lottery kind of situation. No, no. This is let's make it not be as horrible as it is. Exactly. I mean, you're. you're um, I think the analogy you're making. This is not. You're not going to profit from your cancer. No. <laughs> what, what we're trying to do is keep you out of out of severe financial disruption, perhaps even bankruptcy. Uh, and you know, for me, and probably for you and others and the listeners, peace of mind is worth a lot. Yes. And it's worth a. You know, yes. my peace of mind for my children uh, is worth a lot to me. 
Um, and, you know, having the peace of mind of these policies that will cover um, is just one more layer that I think you have to have um, given the statistics because they're not great. I mean, the odds are just not in your favor um, whatsoever. And, um, you know, it may be a tough sell to some folks, but like I said, you you go through it or experiencing it in your own life, and it really changes how you think about your health care in general. I mean, so, we, know, we know that um, last year we did a report, an AFLAC workforce's report, that really kind of looks at the dynamics of benefits usage on in the workforce. And we found that um, about 41% of the people that sign up for benefits spend less than 15 minutes looking at their benefits. They spend 30 minutes researching their vacation. They spend <laughs> hours picking out a television. Yes. They, they just don't spend the, enough time really trying to understand how and what health care benefits they're offered, as well as what what doesn't it cover, right? You, do, you don't want to get to a diagnosis, think that you're covered, and then find out, oops, well, you know, had you known that through annual enrollment, you could have selected these options, but you didn't. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole concept of peace of mind has got to be very sort of uh, highly end of one, depending on who you're talking to. Right. Exactly. And, the, you know, the peace of mind for me, like I said, is, um, is it's really high. I mean, children have a way, for me personally, they just had a way of kind of changing my whole perspective. Agreed. Uh, along with seeing my father go through, you know, a, a fairly lengthy uh, battle. I mean, that, that did not have a certain, you know, a, a, um, a positive certainty into it. It happened to, but uh, as we went through it, uh, you know, it was sort of month by month. Uh, right. you, fig- you know, you the chemo goes in, and you know, they do some tests, and, well, you know, we're going to have to do this. And, and, you know, that sort of animosity and that weight game was just um, really, really exhausting. Right. Uh, and like I said, by the time that we got to the point where uh, he was going to need surgery, my mother was just exhausted. Right? I mean, she just was like, somebody has to come help at this point, and um, that somebody happened to me. Right. So I, I was glad to do it, but no, like I said, it just changes your perspective on a lot of things when those things happen. Now again, I'm relating to you as as a you know sandwich generation. My twins are five. My parents are age, close closing on seventy, yeah, and uh, that's that's it. You know, like we have to now worry about being a caregiver on both sides of the bookend. Yeah. And uh, you know what does that look like? So we have about a minute or two left. I, I have another question for you, and this this could be open ended because we're going to do another show later this year. Um, if you had cancer. And then you get a job or you get back to work. Can you become an Aflac customer? You can. You can. The, uh, the person has to be in remission for five years before they're eligible, but you, you actually can. So if you've already had cancer, uh, you need to be in remission for five years before you can apply. Now, I just wanted that stated on, on the air because that's a big question people get. And, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm ineligible, you know, so you're not really until you get to five years. But I find that interesting that five years is still that magic number because Carson mentioned this too. He was diagnosed at 16, but at 21, that was the magic number for cure. And when I was diagnosed at 21, 26 was the magic number for cure. But today, people live with cancer. And you could be just like HIV. People just live with HIV. They just live with it for years and years, yeah. Right. So if you're not dying from something, does that – I mean, that's probably a bigger question. Yeah. That is a bigger question, but but five years is the number for us. Uh, so if you're in remission for five years, you can apply and be eligible. And like I said, like I, I I've been a I didn't know anything about Affleck except the commercials, which I love. And like again, I come from agencies, so it's just 
what this like absolute vodka, not to compare the duck with vodka, but it's one of those like just completely consistent brands and ads that just transcend. So it, it does, yeah. Over the years, I mean, even before I was uh, employed by Aflac, obviously I I knew about Aflac, and um, you know, it's just it's it's just fun to be a part of this company in general. Um, you know, the duck is just a, a great um, you know a great mascot for us, and uh, opens a lot of doors for us too. Right, and and just to wrap up the chat, the Aflac duck, he made his uh, debut uh, in the public eye <laughs> this year's uh, Stupid Cancer Road Trip. Um, and uh, he uh, showed up in, in Denver for a cancer con, and he's uh, coming to OMG East in New York, and it was kind of surreal to physically be in the presence of a like a global brand icon of sorts. I was a little duckstruck. I just made that up. That's my new hashtag. <laughs> yes, that we, you know, you can, if you come down to Columbus, Georgia, we can expose you to all sorts of live ducks. There, we have quite a lot of them. Down yes, here. I, no, and we are. I believe we're going to be coming down again this fall. So I'll be sure to meet you in person when we're down there. But I can't thank you enough for coming on the show again. Like this is maybe been a sponsored show, but I really am very passionate about the value this gives to millennials and young adults and my employees per, per se. And uh, it's definitely something that is real. It's true. It has value, and and people should check it out. So if you um, are interested in learning more about Affleck, definitely, first of all, ask for it at work. That's the you have to be employed at a company that has it first and foremost. But right. I, I guess anyone can just call to learn more, right? Or just go they onto can. the website. Absolutely, go to Affleck.com. Matthew, can we also talk about our partnership and? Um, you know, our use of social media for uh, Cancerous for the Birds. Oh, sure, sure, yes. So um, Aflac is currently donating $2, up to $25,000 uh, to Stupid Cancer, to us. Um, and uh, for any share of our posts using the hashtag Cancer is for the Birds, which we will use when we post this show online, Facebook, $2 for any share on Facebook, uh, $2 for tweets, uh, retweets using Cancerous for the Birds, and Instagram, $2 for any use of Cancer for the Birds on Instagram. Uh, we are putting them out there pretty consistently, every duck picture. And we finally got our photos from Denver. So they will be blasted out to the universe in the next couple of weeks using that hashtag. Excellent. Thank you. We're excited about the partnership, so I didn't want to forget about it. No, of course. And, and thank you for reminding me. Yeah, no problem. That we are in some kind of partnership with Affleck. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> All right. Matthew Owenby, Senior Vice President. And uh, Chihoop. <laughs> Chief Human Resource Officer. Thank you so much. What a great show. Take care Thanks of yourself. For having me. Okay, bye bye. So we've christened Adrian with her first Stupid Cancer show. What do you think? I, I'm, my mind is completely blown. 356 shows we've been doing this. It's, 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 it's been embarrassing. The, every single... <laughs> we keep, every, at the end of every show, we're like, we did it again. How'd that happen? It, 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 well, you, sh- you should feel that way. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 inc- it's absolutely incredible. It's, yeah. it, I'm, I'm, I'm it, for lack of a better term, starstruck by the, um, by the amount of impact that I know that it's, that it's having just because of if we have similar, uh, even though it's so yes, not similar. Yes. No, it's, it's, but it's similar in parallel. the ways parallel. Uh, and to know the impact that, that it has. And I'm totally duck struck. Like, duck struck. Yeah. Like no <laughs> joke. I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I wanted, I wanted to ask the question, but I didn't want to put him on the spot about um, if you have a prosthetic and you join into uh, another insurance 
is it considered a pre-existing condition? But I no, Aflac does not have pre-existing condition okay. except for cancer, which is that five-year mark, as okay. far as I've learned. Yeah, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to obviously put him on the spot. No, and this. the reason I asked that question is when we posted on our wall, "Hey, Aflac is proudly supporting stupid yeah. cancer." Like everyone's like, "I can't get a policy." You right. know, that, my yeah, employer doesn't imagine. have it, or I, right. I'm still in treatment. How dare you? Like, you can't please everyone. But it's right, exciting that you know s- someone like me can have a policy, and yeah. I do now, which is yeah. amazing. So it's totally it took 20 years, but I'm still <laughs> have a policy now. So we have to create some kind of radio show for amputees. I I'm really I'm really interested to hear like I, the stupid stump show or something. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally stumpy. Stumpy. Yes. Stumptown. Or Stumptown. Stumptown. There's Stumptown coffee. It's, There's nothing is, politically incorrect about this conversation. No. Nothing no. at all. The, in, nor should it that be. That millions of people will listen to. No, nor uh, should yeah. it be. <laughs> it should not be politically correct. That should be, the, that should be the hashtag or something. Well, I'm thrilled that you uh, were able to make it down and be our special guest tonight. I'm thrilled to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, Sean, uh, Mallory, Noel, any comments besides not you are now Aflac uh, policyholders? Gotta love the Affleck. Yeah? Yeah, I love it. It's great. And Mallory, you actually used yours. I did right before CancerCon, right before I got to meet Mr. Affleck Duck. Yes, you had mal-duck insurance. I I had a malfident. Is that what we're calling my accident? (laughs) Uh, And it came quite in handy, and Affleck are uh, good people. Yeah. so They're my friends. Case study, case in point. It works, people. All right, great. Well, great show, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, the 356th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Again, this show is sponsored by our friends at Aflac. Special thanks to our guests, Carson Hand and uh, Matthew Owenby, and our special guest, Adrian Haslett Davis. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro, and Noel Wimmer, thanks for listening. And we'll see you back on the next broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.